And they studied it. They share that um, on average, it takes seven years from the time when you notice that alcohol is not making you happy until you actually make a sustainable change. Mm -hmm. So like for me, for example, seven years, I was spending it very consciously knowing I didn't like drinking. I hadn't taken that many breaks then because I didn't think I was allowed to. But Mm -hmm. like I knew, you know, I knew every Monday I knew. Right. So it's just interesting how the brain just needs that time to change the mindset and evolve. You know what I mean? So Welcome to Your Body's Way, a podcast for all of you health-conscious humans out there who want to nourish, move, and take care of your body your way. Not the diet book's way or even my way. Your journey to find your body's way through all of the noise and nonsense starts right here, where I'll be presenting and breaking down all of the current popular health practices so you can make intelligent choices that work for you and you alone. You know what they say, if the shoe fits, so I encourage you to take on what sounds tempting and to reject what doesn't. So let's dive into your journey to becoming the person you know you can be. Well, hello there. Welcome back to Your Body's Way. I today am speaking to the amazing Karolina Jardkowalska. She is an alcohol-free life coach specializing in helping women overcome their alcohol addiction and go on to then find their purpose in life. It's such a beautiful purpose for her to have in life, to be able to take women from a place in life where they're you know, maybe struggling, um, maybe binge drinking at the weekend, their health is probably not doing so well mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And she's able to then help them overcome that and then go on to find an amazing life for themselves, the life that they're meant to have. And she has an amazing story herself. She went from a kind of health nut five days a week, Monday to Friday, but then she would become this kind of binge drinker at the weekend. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. It's kind of like two, you've got an angel on one shoulder and you've got a devil on another. It's like there are two identities, two faces there. And I think a lot of us can agree with that. I mean, I'm a health nut as well, but I also allow myself to have those naughty days. So it's absolutely fine. But for Carolina, what she explains in this podcast is she asked herself if she didn't have alcohol in her life, like, would it serve her better in her life if she was to ditch alcohol for good? And the answer was yes. So if you find yourself with a habit that you know isn't serving you, just ask yourself, would you be better off without it? Would you be able to soar and, you know, have space for brilliance in your life after you've ditched it and if the answer is yes then it's a good idea to try and cut it out so she explains exactly how she did it for herself and how she helps other women do the same she's an author of a fantastic book released earlier this year called euphoric 
and she's an amazing podcast host, a speaker and a life coach and she's really well recognised um, in her industry. She's doing fabulously well since she stopped her binge drinking and I think that was around 2018. I'm just kind of running that off the top of my head here. But um, yeah, I can't wait for you to hear this conversation but before we dive into it, I want to inform you of my three-day fasting masterclass that's happening in January 2023. So it's time to reclaim who you were pre-lockdown and I want you to be able to achieve the body of your dreams and using fasting as a really powerful tool to do that. So I'm going to be teaching a three-day free fasting masterclass. I'm going to be teaching you what fasting is about, uh, specifically intermittent fasting, what it's about, what the benefits are. I want to take all of the scary stuff out of it and I want to make it really simple for you to learn how to put your own fasting program together, one that can last you for the rest of 2023 and going forwards after that. And I just want to give you that power to take control of your own health and your own food timing. And the masterclass is designed specifically for that. So we'll be going into all sorts of things like the different types of fasts that you can do um, and just all of that lovely juicy stuff. I'll be giving you my best tips, like the best tips that I have. I'm going to be showing up as my absolute best self in those three days. So each um, day is going to be an hour long on a Zoom call. So it's three hours in total over the three days. So all you need to do is I'll be leaving a link in the show notes below and you can apply for it there and reserve your seat. And I can't wait to see you there. But for now, um, let's return back to Carolina. She has some amazing information. This was such a fabulous conversation and I can't wait for you to hear it. So enjoy. Well, Carolina, thank you so much for coming onto my podcast. I feel so lucky because I've been following you for so long and I've been admiring your journey from afar and I just wanted to give you the warmest welcome to Your Body's Way. How are you doing today? Oh, you are so sweet. I'm so excited to be here today and I'm doing great. I'm doing very well. Thank you. (laughs) I have to say, and I've told you this over email and I've just told you just now, I've been absolutely drooling over your photos um of your um retreat that you've done recently I think you went to Bali is that right I went to Bali yes and then I just finished another one in Puerto Vallarta so oh my gosh incredible <laughs> incredible um I want to let the listeners know um first of all before we get started um of just basically the beauty of the journey that you've been on and that you're still on and you're currently inspiring women to basically overcome alcohol addiction and find their purpose through that. So um, that's something I want to dig into today. And your journey, when I look at it, I see it in two parts. The first part is how you have overcome your alcohol addiction and then how you then moved on to your purpose and finding it and just living this incredible life you've written a book and you know you've been on television and you're running these amazing retreats in beautiful locations so basically in this conversation I've got literally so many questions for you I've had to whittle them down (laughs) I have to admit um but I just want to take it in two parts like the alcohol and the addiction part first and then moving into finding 
purpose. So that's basically what I'm hoping for today, if that's all right. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. Awesome. So let's start off with your journey. Um, What is your story and how did you come about to being the, um, the life coach that you are now? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, when it comes to alcohol, it just seems like such a taboo topic. And even throwing around sometimes the word addiction, it gets so serious. And we think of these stereotypes that we don't actually sometimes personify. Wait a minute, is this something I can look at? Is there something here for me? And I remember just feeling really stuck in that. So I'll just share my story in a nutshell. I partied probably way too hard in college. I picked up a lot of drinking habits back then. I didn't really form any other healthy coping mechanisms. So alcohol just became the stand-in to deal with, you know, young adulthood and breakups and all that kind of stuff. And I was definitely over drinking back then. And as I grew up though, I, you know, I got a job, I got married, I bought a house, I started to really settle down. And so what I started doing is I got really into health and mindfulness. And basically what I did is I pushed my drinking only to the weekend. And so I lived the healthiest lifestyle, basically Monday through Thursday. Um, you know, I would drink my green juice, I'd go to yoga class, I would meditate, I would read books, and then Thursday through Sunday, I would just overdrink. And a lot of it was very normal, right? I was going out with my friends to a sushi dinner, I was going to a game night, I was going to a brewery with some people, maybe I was having some wine with my husband at home. And so it was really hard to characterize it as like this huge, massive problem. And yet I couldn't shake the feeling I got every single Monday morning. I felt like death, literally, right? I woke up feeling ashamed of myself, regretful. I had made so much progress during the week on my health. And then I just felt like I was five steps backwards. It's almost and like I was two just... lives almost. It's right? like two personalities, exactly. two sides of you that you were, that were battling. Exactly. Together. And that creates this huge cognitive dissonance and this huge recognition that my life is out of align with my values. But I would look around me and everybody else was doing the exact same thing. And I had only heard of these stereotypes of people who quit drinking as, you know, crazy stereotypes like Nicolas Cage from leaving Las Vegas, you know, drinking handles of vodka every single day. And I was like, okay, well, that's not it. So I guess I just have to figure this out. And so I just kept drinking because I thought literally that's how you are a normal adult. And it wasn't until I heard of Dry January that something clicked in my mind that I was like, oh, I could like take a break. I have to, you know, go around and tell everyone I have a problem. Like I can just do this in the privacy of my home. And it gave me the space to kind of just experience life without alcohol. And so I did that for a month and I noticed my mood was starting to elevate. My sleep was getting better. I was proud of myself. I felt more self-love. And then February comes along and I don't really think I'm allowed to be a non-drinker in our society. So I remember my first social occasion, I drink. I drink a few times that February And the contrast this time is so stark. Even one or two drinks, I notice, completely ruins my sleep, completely ruins my mood. I get frustrated and cranky easily. I wake up the next day groggy. I'm ashamed of myself. I just, I'm like, oh, this drinking thing really sucks. And so I decided to take another break that at that point. And that break has basically been five years later that I haven't been drinking. And what ultimately happened was that I kind of recognized what the deeper reasons why I was drinking and I kind of changed my life so that it wasn't so stressful and it wasn't so boring and I wasn't so unfulfilled. And that's when I kind of tapped into my deeper purpose into, you know, the second phase that you talk about. And it's just been the wildest journey of my life. Like these last five years have been so much growth for me of just doing things I never, ever, ever would have deemed be possible for me all because I decided to to get outside my comfort zone the first time with alcohol and just keep pushing that limit. 
Right. So let's backtrack because I can imagine people listening to this thinking, okay, so I want the same. Like, how do I get to experience the same feelings that you're feeling now? So if we just backtrack first to when you were drinking alcohol, how did you know that you had a problem? How did you know? Because so many people do these things and like how they, a lot of people might not even know that they actually have a problem on their hands. They might be like, well, I just drink at the weekends. Like, what's the problem? Like, how did you know that it was a problem for you? Absolutely. And I think that's why that's such a hard question to answer is because honestly, Western society, at least people who live in the United States, the UK, Australia, most of just everywhere around the world, honestly, we're all over drinking as a culture. Culturally, we are all drinking way more than we should be to have any remote healthy body and brain. And that's been normalized. And it's been normalized into our culture, into our rituals, into our celebration, into our socialization. So obviously, almost like literally the statistics are crazy. Like most people who drink are over drinking, but we don't think of it as a problem because it's also what everyone else is doing, right? And we only think of it as a problem when it's reaching like, you know, scary levels, right? And so I had a hard time answering that question. Mm. I honestly couldn't because yes, sometimes I drink way too much. Sometimes I only had one or two drinks. I didn't drink during the week. Some people drink every day, you know? So it was just so hard to answer that. But what I found was I asked myself different questions. And the question that I asked myself was, is this ultimately making me happy? That was much easier to answer. Yes, in the moment, obviously, we get a 20-minute buzz. We think we're happy. But like in the long term, my contentment, my fulfillment was alcohol adding to it. Absolutely not. And I think anyone can ask themselves that question, whether they drink 10 drinks a day or one drink a week. And that answer is going to be guided by their own intuition of what's true for them. Right. So I think that's a better question. And the same thing, too, is was drinking aligned with my values. You know, I valued health. I valued mindfulness. I valued freedom. I valued purpose. I valued all these things. And alcohol was So not even unaligned, but it was taking me away from those things that I wanted. You know, here I was doing all these healthy things and then purposely drinking this toxic beverage that literally makes you feel physically ill the next day. Like that's not really a picture of health. Right. Yeah. And so like that's another good question I'll often ask my clients and my and my students is just what are your values and is alcohol aligned to those values? And that's why I think that it's often the most intuitive people who start to reevaluate the role of alcohol in their lives, because we've been brainwashed to drink, you know, passage for almost everyone when you're 18, 21, 16, whatever it is. And then it's kept up as this ritual at all social occasions until you die. You know, maybe when you get pregnant, you can take a break. But other than that, it's just baked into our world. And so for someone to reevaluate, not even quit drinking forever, but just reevaluate alcohol and stop and ask, wait a minute, just because everyone else is doing this, is it serving me? I actually think it makes you the most intuitive person on the planet, not necessarily the person with the biggest problem. Right. And so I think it's actually like a, just a stamp of like, you're listening to yourself, you're listening to your body, you're listening to your emotions, and you're not just going to get caught up in doing what you've always done or what everyone else is doing. And so that was like that epiphany for me changed everything because when I could see that alcohol, not only wasn't making me happy, but it was actually making me even in the moment cranky and frustrated and tired and exhausted. I was like, this isn't doing what I thought it was doing. You know, that like the illusion was popped. Right. It's so interesting because you're right. 
as a society, we see alcohol as the norm. And if anything, when you go out for a night out, you almost have to explain yourself if you're not having a drink. I mean, for example, so I don't drink much at all. Um, My dad is Chinese. So basically, every time I drink, I flush terribly and I get a pounding heart. And it's just my body has this um, terrible reaction to alcohol. So I've kind of been blessed with that in a sense. Um, But you know, still, even still, like I, I went to a Christmas party uh, last weekend. And even then I was like, you know, I don't drink and I know the effect it has, but I still had a drink and I was just, just to kind of fit in and just to feel relaxed. And, you know, even this weekend I've got another get together and I think I might even drink again. And it's, it's just accepted and it's just so normal. And you're right you know, you can't define an addiction by how many drinks you have, or, you know, it it really is just, does it align with who you are and what you want to achieve in life? How do you feel with alcohol in your life? Like, and if you reflect on that and the answer is no, it doesn't do anything for me, then that should be your answer. So it's, it's so interesting um, when you bring that up with, um, so, I mean, addiction is such a sticky word. And would you have classed yourself as having an addiction or would you have classed it as something else? You know, I think for me and honestly, for most people, like physical addiction, when we're physically addicted to something with alcohol, it only happens to around 10% of the heaviest drinkers. So okay. most people are not actually physically addicted to alcohol. We are habitualized to drink, right? Yeah. So imagine how many times an average person, you know, who, who does drink regularly, how many times they've drank in their life. Like Mm -hmm. it's not on one hand or two hands, it's hundreds, if not thousands of times. And, you know, look at something like brushing your teeth. I do it every single morning. I'm sure you do too. Um, I'm not going to stop doing that habit. You know what I mean? Like that has been so habitualized in my life. And, you know, with drinking, it is, it comes with such a reward that we think we get when we get that drink. And that's just how the brain works with habits. It's like shortcut. We don't have to think seven o'clock it's dinner time. Let's have a drink. Right. But what I do think is that most people who drink regularly and are over drinking are emotionally dependent on alcohol. Mm -hmm. And as a culture, and then also personally, we have ascribed these certain properties onto alcohol to make it seem more magical than it really is. So we believe that it does does stuff to us. For example, you just mentioned like, oh, it'll help me relax. Mm -hmm. Well, the funny thing is most people like under the sun will say that's one of the top reasons why they drink is yeah, it helps them relax. And you can see that you have a really busy day, you have a drink, you kind of tone it down. Biologically, alcohol does not relax the human body. Biologically, when we drink, the body actually releases cortisol and other stress hormones in response to it. So molecularly, like our body goes on haywire with more anxiety and unrelaxation when we drink. They even tested it where they put these brain nodes on people who just got off work. So the the, uh, scientists were able to see their brain waves and everyone sat down at a bar or restaurant and they're all pretty stressed out. They just got off work. So their brain waves are pretty chaotic, right? All up and down. And then everybody orders a drink Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden the brainwaves smooth out, right? Nice and relaxed. Now here's the kicker. Nobody actually drank the drink yet. They just ordered it. So it's like the anticipation of the reward or the relaxation is actually what is really relaxing us and kind of saying, hey, I'm done with work. I'm. It's okay to re- stop everything. It's the permission we're giving ourselves to turn off. You can do that in so many other ways that are so much more effective, right? So like that is one concept, for example, where if you are able to debunk 
the thing you believe about alcohol, or maybe it helps me sleep, or maybe it helps me be more confident, more brave, or more Mm -hmm. sociable. Like I said, it's these things that we place onto alcohol, these beliefs, these neuro associations, that if we're able to kind of analyze them, question them, gather alternate evidence for them, what we can do is stop that emotional dependence. Because then we look at alcohol and there's really like, this does nothing for me. And we believe that not just consciously, but subconsciously as well. And that's when the desire goes away. That's really, truly when the desire goes away. And a good example is like, you know, some people, me included, used to smoke cigarettes when they're younger, like in high school, college, you know, young adult years. And then they stopped smoking and they would never pick up a cigarette again. Like they're just grossed out by it. They, you know, it's just not even doesn't cross their mind. You can get the same place with alcohol once you kind of change all of these beliefs that you have around it. So I think that's really fascinating. So Back to your question, I think most people are emotionally dependent, you know, especially regular drinkers, um, because we believe we get pleasure, comfort, or some kind of benefits from alcohol. And then we use that as a tool when we need it. And that's what I really want to dig into right now. So first of all, just kind of um, just kind of playing back what you've just said. So basically, one of the first tactics in overcoming um, relying on drink for um, kind of emotional dependence is to first of all kind of gather information that um you know the things that you believe about it that are positive are actually not positive so I know that um you know people for example drink to sleep better or to you know just get more rest when really they don't actually get a restful sleep at all like it's a terrible sleep but they feel like they've slept but their body never actually switches off so just gathering information like that is a really good way to really good step to take I guess I guess you're saying um but the emotional dependent part is the part I really want to get into because with um all dependence on any any habit any damaging habit so like they all fall under the same umbrella, right? So like alcohol, smoking, food, shopping, like they all fall under the same umbrella, right? They're they're kind of some form of like addiction that kind of covers up emotional issues, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll just say like, they're very similar, except for the caveat that some have physical or chemical properties that are even more addictive. So like, like alcohol and cigarettes, heroin and cocaine, (laughs) a little bit more, uh, like they twist up the brain a little bit more, let's just say, but they're all functioning in the same way on the brain. Yeah, they all kind of, they all kind of give the same function that is to um, help someone overcome an emotional problem that they're having in that moment. So um, common ones being boredom, anxiety is a big one stress um nerves like even excitement they're all ways to kind of change the way that you feel so what major emotions do you come across in your practice with your clients yeah i'll say number two two top ones are both stress and boredom right which is ironic because <laughs> you think you would have so, yeah. one or the other but you know and i think for me obviously stress i you know i used alcohol for that but really the core reason for me was boredom Order. And Order. again, that's why I didn't, I didn't really see it as a problem. It was like, well, what are you supposed to do on a Friday night? What are you mm-hmm. supposed to do on Saturdays? Right. You know, and it was so crazy because basically every week I was like, I just can't wait for the weekend. 
Let's just get through Monday through Friday as fast as possible. TGIF, I'm waiting for the weekend. I was literally waiting for my life to go by as fast as possible so I could get to that reward at the end of the weekend. Mm -hmm. And I just look back now, like one, that's so normal in our society, but I just look back now and say, like, how sad. Like, you know, like she was missing so much fulfillment and purpose in her every day. And so when I was able to have that space away from alcohol, I really recognized that. And I changed my week. I changed what I do on a daily basis. And at first it wasn't this huge, you know, career overhaul because I did do that, right? I quit my job. I started a business that I find impactful and meaningful for me. I live a completely different existence every day. But at first it was actually just going on new experiences. So, you know, like you free up all this time and energy when you're not drinking. And I was just like so hopeful every day I was waking up feeling better and better. My sleep was improving. I'm just like, wow, I'm I'm, I'm kicking it. This is amazing, you know? And so it got me feeling more sense of possibility for a lot of other things. So I remember just dipping my toe into all these other stuff. Like I went to writer's workshops and I went to do paddleboard yoga classes and I, you know, went out to meetups to meet new people. And I went to things like the the opera and the museum that I hadn't done in a long time. I started acting like a kid again, just kind of exploring, you know, because boredom is so interesting. Like when we were kids, especially like our generation, when we were bored, we wouldn't just distract ourselves and get on a smartphone and just like scroll for hours. We invented fun. We went out and put our rollerblades on. We climbed a tree. We put on a play. Like we used our imagination and innovated fun, right? We had to create our own fun. We weren't just passive zombies waiting for the fun to come. And even though boredom is uncomfortable, boredom is that invitation. Boredom is that invitation to do that. And so that was just incredible to witness that, you know, I could see clearly, I, I didn't know it then, but now I can see it so clearly why I was drinking and what really needed to change was not waiting for some passive drink to like, you know, I'm like a zombie on the couch and fireworks are going off in my brain. I needed to bring the fireworks. I needed to create the fun. And that's how I've done that in my life now. And literally just what I do, the way I challenge myself, the way I'm always reaching new goals, meeting new people, like I feel the thrill and the high every day. Mm-hmm. I don't need like a drug or a drink to do that. Yeah. Um, it's so funny you mentioned this because I'm actually reading the book Comfort Crisis. Have you read it? I haven't, but oh read God, it I, I feel I feel like you you would have read it because what you've just said is literally what I've just read today. Um, basically, he said something really amazing. He said, "Okay, so boredom, yes, it's uncomfortable, but they found that um, being bored is essential to creativity. So it enables you to become more creative." It allows space for you to, like you said, create fun, create um, ideas, become more inventive. Um, I think they did an experiment with uh, children uh, with with paper cups or something, and they had to do something that like they had to do something with paper cups. Like I can't remember the exact um, experiment off the top of my head, but there were two groups. One group was left to become bored, and another group wasn't. And the bored group ended up coming with coming up with these amazing um, kind of ways that you can use these paper cups, whereas the other ones didn't. So boredom, maybe it's time to reframe what boredom is. Boredom is not a negative thing that you need to fight to kind of get rid of it. You know, I need to drink or I, I need to, you know, jump on my phone or whatever else you do when you're bored. It's something to embrace and kind of sit with it. Um, and but, but the only problem is I find it difficult to sit with boredom. I don't know about you. I mean, I know that you've overcome that. But I mean, sometimes do you find it difficult to just sit with that? Because it's a difficult feeling, isn't it? It's so uncomfortable. 
It is difficult. And I think like, you know, being intentional about, you know, planning things or like starting, for example, I'm not going to say his name correctly. It's this Czech uh, psychologist, Mihaly Chesuzinski or something. He talks about flow. And when we're in flow, it's like when time stops, you know, we're just enjoying what we're doing. And it's oftentimes we're doing something we like, we're passionate about, but we're also challenged. So mm. oftentimes it's actually doing something new, right? And I think that's what's so missing in adulthood is that we've lost that. We lost, we lose those kind of things. And, you know, like in this moment of boredom, in the thick of it, like you're not going to be like, you know what? It's time to learn French. Let's p- pick up that <laughs> app. You know what I mean? But if we're intentionally looking at our lives and being like, okay, I am feeling restless. I am feeling uneasy and boredom is a dominant feeling. I think it's time to like shift and look at, see what things you've always wanted to try that you haven't ever tried. And that's a really way, good way. Now in the thick of the moment, obviously I think boredom is also for me, at least correlated with really low energy. And it's okay for me to just rest sometimes, yeah. you know, it's okay for me to I just have important. one of those days, you yeah. know, absolutely. Yeah. And I don't like stress out too much about it. Um, but I also know that like, if I am bored and I just watch TV, they've proven this, like you will be more depressed afterwards than mm. before. Right. So I know it feels worse. Um, that's okay sometimes, but like in general, if we're taking like a bigger picture of you, you know, when we're not feeling that bad, we can be a little bit more intentional. Like, you know what? Friday afternoons or evenings are kind of boring for me if I don't drink or this or that. Maybe I need to plan something for myself. Maybe I need to go to the museum or maybe I need to start this new challenge or go to this new group or something like that. I think um, my issue, when when I was in my 20s, I had a binge eating disorder. And um, I believe that the core of that was boredom also which is why I feel like I relate to you in this situation. Um, I believe I was bored. And even today, I I was talking to my in-laws because they're visiting and um, we were having a conversation. And I was like, we're talking about addiction, but you know, not anything in particular, but just, you know, do we rely on anything to kind of help us get through the day? And I was like, no, I don't think I have anything. Like I'm, I don't have, I don't rely on anything to kind of help me get through those hard times. And um, I realized when I was preparing for this conversation, I was like, hang on, I think I do. I feel like I need to always be doing something productive. And I think that is also a negative thing because it it can be seen as a positive thing. If someone hears it, they're like, oh, she does something productive or, or boohoo. But it's not that it's, it's punishing. Like I, I punish myself. And when you said that, you know, if you just relax and watch telly, that's something I punish myself for, especially if it's like during the day when I feel like I should be working or should be doing something else. It's, you know, that can also be another way to, you know, cover up those feelings. So I kind of removed food as the crux and then kind of moved it over to kind of workalism and, you know, always needing to be productive So it's, you know, it's tricky. It's tricky to kind of overcome those feelings. But do you have any tips on how to just be with your feelings, like how to just sit with them? Um, So not even just boredom. So just say anxiety, which is a big one and stress. Do you have any tips on how to just sit with it? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I will often have my clients take the Enneagram. And oftentimes I I get a lot of threes and threes are often the workaholics, right? (laughs) I have three tendencies as well. Um, and so sometimes, especially with alcohol, it's like 
go, 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 go. And alcohol is the one thing where like literally you can't decide even for yourself whether you want to work or not. Alcohol already made the decision. So it's like this easy cop out, right? Of like, it's the only time I can relax because I can't write emails when I'm drunk, you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> um, and it's like, whoa, like, can't we give ourselves permission to relax? But w- like without that, you know what I mean? And so I have a program called Dry Boot Camp, which is all about taking a break from alcohol and learning how to take care of your emotional needs. And this first week is all about learning how to relax, learning how to do things that your body needs and your brain needs to be able to process emotions and just decompress. Like we are usually working with our sympathetic nervous system on overdrive and our d our 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 parasympathetic nervous system just doesn't get any light of the day and it needs to turn on it needs to decompress at the end of each day which is why i actually think the ritual of sitting down and having a drink isn't bad it's actually Mm -hmm. a beautiful thing to say work is done i can turn down i can turn off it's time to soothe myself right it's just the actual property of what you're drinking isn't so good so replacing that with a mocktail or some tea would just be amazing But, you know, um, when I talk about rituals for relaxation, it's often things that we do with our body. And I'm not talking about putting on, you know, your 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 running shoes and running. Most of us don't feel like doing that in the moment, but little soothing things. So I really love yin yoga, for example, where you're sitting just in nice uh, stretching positions or poses for a little bit that are really, really gentle. Personally, something so easy for me is I like to just watch the sunset. You know, just get outside and go watch the sunset because everything that was going on that day, the petty emails, this didn't get done, that didn't happen. All of a sudden, I see the universe paint this magical portrait in front of me and I'm just stopped and awed by the beauty of the world and then I get to experience it. So it kind of wakes me up from the like redundancy of all the things I have to do and just puts me back in touch with like the grandeur and the profundity of the universe. So that's a really easy ritual that I, I often recommend. Anything to do with nature will also do the same. Just getting on a walk outside, going out with, you know, being in trees or watching something like that. Um, anything to do with also regulating our breath. So we are really shallow breathers. And as shallow breathers, we're not getting enough breath to our vagus nerve where we can really produce serotonin for our bodies. And so we end up just having way more anxiety and not feeling at peace with our lives. And so I know it sounds so common sense or just like, oh, that's not going to work. But literally sitting down and doing like 10 minutes of a breath work, like a real session, like not just huffing and puffing, but some real sequence will change the way you feel 10 minutes later. And it will start to turn on your parasympathetic nervous system so that you decompress. And so again, a lot of these rituals are like either common sense or like we just don't believe they're going to work. or We don't think we have the time to do them. But like water, for example, you know, taking a bath is so up there with like self-care. Like there's, there's reason why like being in water really does soothe us uh, as mammals. Like there's the mammalian effect because we evolved from sea animals in the past that having water in our face or on our bodies actually can soothe our nervous system. Because if you think about it, like a dolphin, if it's underwater and it's stressing out and it's super anxious, it's going to die and hyperventilate because it can't breathe. So anytime the, the sea animals, mammals are underwater, they actually start calming down so that they can survive and be there for long times. And we have that literally built into us too from evolution. So it's like, I like to think of it as like earth, air, fire, water, like what are those kind of natural elements we can bring back into our life to soothe us? And it's often experimentation too. So what works for one person might not be what works for another person. So I like to bring a lot of ideas um, forward when when I'm working with clients. Yeah. And none of this is new. Like 
everyone's heard these techniques before and it's it's common sense but I believe in timing so when the person's ready they will take on board these tips and the tips will work for them but it's all about timing the person has to be ready and they have to be committed in order to overcome such a um, prominent part of someone's life so just say they rely on drink do they have to do a whole do they have to do a whole life overhaul in order to overcome something like this? Because it's such, it, it can be, it can ruin people's lives. Like it's, it's, it can be huge and it can ruin relationships and it can have such a massive impact on people's lives. Like, do they have to do this whole overhaul? Do they have to make huge changes? Is, is it genetic? Like, is it in someone's genes or can anyone recover Yeah. Great questions. So, you know, I think that like the way I teach it that I think is just really effective is that like looking at, you know, giving up alcohol forever Mm -hmm. or never drinking again, or something that is going to be so daunting at the forefront. And the thing is, is that most of us started drinking when we were young. And again, other than a pregnancy or two, we drink for the rest of our lives. We don't even have the experience of seeing what life really feels like without alcohol. Mm -hmm. And, you know, alcohol lowers our levels of dopamine in our brain, of serotonin, of GABA. So like anyone who is regularly drinking has this lower mood, has lower happiness levels. It ups all our stress hormones. It makes it hard to sleep and get REM sleep. So people who are drinking have rough sleep and are have more anxiety, like literally flowing in their bodies, right? You can test it. It increases our cholesterol, our blood um, pressure, you know, it starts to kill slowly our gray matter in our brain. There's just all these scientific things that happen that like, I think anyone deserves to experiment at least Mm -hmm. to see what they feel like without alcohol. And so, you know, the easiest place to start is just a break, just taking a break from alcohol. 30 days is amazing. 100 days will change your life. Even three days as a way to just try to do something different and new is amazing. And from there, really be experimental about it. How is my sleep improving? Do I like how I feel better in the morning? Do I like how, you know, I'm learning about myself and all those emotions that we were numbing before or distracting or putting away, they're now talking to us. And oftentimes Mm -hmm. these emotions are these barometers, these teachers that trying to show us where we do need to make shifts in our lives. So I do think what ends up happening is someone who takes a break from alcohol starts elevating their happiness neurotransmitters because the brain starts to rebalance their anxiety. Down. They're getting better sleep. They're proud of themselves, right? There's mm-hmm. so much mental gymnastics and regret that comes into a drinking habit. All the times I told myself I'd only have one drink and I that broke that promise, you know, I was always letting myself down. So the self-love, the self-esteem, the confidence, the pride is starting to grow. I was literally, I call my book and my company euphoric because that's how I felt when I took a break from alcohol. I felt euphoric. And from that place, this place of this platform where you've increased your happiness, you've increased your self-esteem, nothing's like, you know, making you feel like shit anymore. From there, changing your life isn't something you have to do. It's like, what else can I do? You know what I mean? It gets super exciting. And so I just see this ripple effect where people start to, you know, reevaluate. Maybe my career was what was causing me to drink and I hate my career and I hate my boss. And it's like, well, why do I have to put up with that? There's a zillion other opportunities and options for me mm-hmm. and people can kind of see them more clearly and, and go for them. So it's kind of funny that I've seen most people I work with and most people I've heard taking a prolonged break from alcohol end up completely overhauling their life. But I'm not in this negative way of like, oh, it has to change, but more mm-hmm. of like, 
it gets to change. There gets to be so much incredible blessings and joy that are pumped into it. And that's really why I love now, you know, most of the time I actually don't work with women who are just starting to stop drinking. I have uh, other coaches who work for my company that help with that. I really love helping women find their deeper purpose and then usually launch businesses or write books or something. And what's so incredible is that that sense of I can do anything Mm -hmm. is a natural result of taking a break from alcohol. And so for me, it's like, yep, step one, take the break. Step two, find the purpose. And that's why they're so married in my mind because you get such a good leverage point, so many gifts from being alcohol-free. Even like we were talking about earlier, the courage it takes. Mm -hmm. Everybody's drinking. Everybody wants you and expects you to drink. Just to even go to a party and stand out and say, you know what? I'll have a mocktail. No thanks, I'm not drinking. That takes a lot of freaking courage in our society. And guess Mm -hmm. what? Going for your dream takes courage. Writing that book takes courage. So it's like strengthening these muscles, these these things that we'll need to achieve our greatest dreams in this little microcosm that's going to help you in other ways. So that leads us perfectly into the purpose section of the podcast. But I have just one more niggling question. um, And that is, what would you say to someone who has tried the break, but then they fall back into old habits and they start to lose hope that they won't be able to sustain this break and be able to take a break from alcohol for good. What would you say to someone who keeps on falling off the wagon, so to speak? Oh my gosh, it's so normal. And what's Mm. so crazy is that that person is doing so much better than the person who's not even trying. You know what I mean? We get so down on ourselves when we're not achieving this perfect level Mm -hmm. that we don't even recognize how much incredible progress has been made compared to the person who's just brushing this off and not listening to their intuition. So I think it's amazing. And it's just a matter of time. As long as that, like the will and the desires there, Mm -hmm. it's just a matter of time. And they studied it. They share that um, on average, it takes seven years from the time when you notice that alcohol is not making you happy until you actually make a sustainable change. Mm -hmm. So like for me, me, for example, seven years, I was spending it very consciously knowing I didn't like drinking. I hadn't taken that many breaks then because I didn't think I was allowed to, but mm. like I knew, you know, I knew every Monday I knew, right? So it's just interesting how the brain just needs that time to change the mindset and evolve, you know what I mean? So I think that person is doing an amazing job and it's almost kind of like a muscle, like you are like something else, like a skill. Like you're not going to play Chopin perfectly on the violin the very first time you pick up a violin. That's insane, right? It's going to take time and practice to get there. And so it's so worth it. And, you know, every time you take a break from alcohol, congratulate yourself. Anytime you're just being mindful and reflecting on yourself, congratulate as long as completely ignoring and putting everything under a rug and not ever like thinking about your progress you know you're doing an amazing job that's great that's that's great to know um so let's step onwards then so just say the person has taken a break and life is starting to look up and they're starting to see all of these doors open in their life they're like wow I didn't see that I could do this or I could do that when I was drinking um now I feel clear-headed I've got all these opportunities like so this is what you term purpose so first of all what is purpose and do we all have one good question so I don't think I know the like Webster dictionary uh (laughs) explanation for purpose just your version is fine I think it's a mission and a calling in life where is filled with fulfillment and meaning and oftentimes 
with the way that you're contributing back to society. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think everybody has a purpose and I think they're very unique. I think it's almost like our fingerprints, how unique that they can be and how, you know, everybody has a gift. Everybody has a different personality mixed with different skills, mixed with different interests, mixed with different experiences. Mm-hmm. So even though you and I have podcasts, like the way that you might express something would be completely different than the way I express something. Even if we're talking about the same exact thing, And someone could hear it from me and just goes out one ear out the other, but they hear it from you and it finally clicks. So it's like every one of our gifts is unique. Every single one of us is unique. And I do think we have something of value to share, even if it's just because we went through something really challenging and now we could turn around and help the woman behind us. I mean, I think every single person listening to this podcast right now, if they had a chance to talk to their 20 year old self has some pretty good advice and some wisdom to share, right? And so we all have this incredible gift, I think. And I think purpose is really finding a lifestyle, whether it's formally or informally. I think a lot of people get really stuck by thinking, oh, I have to do this for my job. I have to quit my job. Oh my God. It's like, whoa, 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 calm down. Like maybe it's informally, right? Maybe we do this with our family and friends and locally or something like that. But finding something that gives you a sense of meaning and you're passionate about and that you care about You know, whether it's something you do on the side or it's ultimately what you do with your career or, you know, is an expression of creativity. I think that's also what marries into the purpose is that we all are creative Mm. people, right? And we get so mixed messages about what it means to be creative in our society. It means you have to paint or be an artist or something like that. It's nothing to do with just the fine arts, right? We are creators just because we build something new that didn't exist before. You know, whatever that looks like in someone's life, it could be so many different permutations. But when we're not tapping into that creative energy, when we're not ever giving back the wisdom that we've learned or anything of value to the world, we're going to feel like we're dead inside because we're not growing, you know, and everything in our universe is growing or dying. Trees are growing. Everything in the universe itself is growing. And so I think that's where the, you know, so much unfulfillment and malaise and midlife crisis has come from is we stop growing as adults. So yes, I definitely think everything, everyone has a purpose. And I don't think it has to just be this like one thing, you that's know, I, I was going to ask, do we have one in our life? And, you know, especially someone becomes a mom and maybe her purpose for those five years is raising young children. And at the end of that five years, something new comes in. It's like, it's allowed to be a little bit more playful. Like it doesn't have to be so serious. Like I have to find my one purpose. Find the thing that's exciting you right now, just right now. You know, like I thought things were exciting 10 years ago that I'm not that passionate about anymore. It's okay. You're allowed to pivot and change, but find what's exciting you now and Mm -hmm. lean into it and move forward with it. And you have no idea how the doors will open and how different opportunities might come up from that. Um, So that would be my advice. So we have multiple passion, multiple, um, uh, purposes and they can change over time you've just reminded me so I'm a huge fan of Elizabeth Gilbert like huge fan and she said something incredible she was like look she's like I'm sick of this word passion like passion passion like what if people you know don't have a passion something that they're really like obsessed with because let's face it I mean I'm not even sure what I'm obsessed with day to day like I'm not sure what I'm passionate about but she said let's swap the word with curiosity so instead of following passion instead follow your curiosity just a little tap on the shoulder here like oh look there's a there's a paintbrush there's a canvas maybe I should try like painting again or Maybe another tap on the shoulder says, you know, maybe I should start writing. Like maybe I'll just write a journal. I'll start a journal or something. Like just following your curiosity is 
a great way to find your purpose or a purpose. And you can follow these roads of curiosity, but if if they don't work out, that's fine. You just follow another curiosity. Like it's a lot less heavy and a lot yeah. less intense than like, oh, I've got to find something I'm passionate about. And like, like you said, you don't have to overhaul everything. You don't have to quit your job and you don't have to, you know, do crazy things. It can just be a small thing, like just anything just to <clears throat> help you discover who you are. Yeah. And I even but- think the ones that like don't pan out actually end up adding something that you can't mm. see right now but in 10 years yeah. from now that little skill you picked up or that little you know piece of knowledge that you picked up or those people that you met come to play somehow interweaving yeah. you know so it's just like I think we need to just listen to those little nudges mm. and take some of that seriousness off that pressure off yeah I mean how many of us can say that we did something that felt pointless a while ago but now it's you know you're like oh I'm glad I did that thing now because now I can do this like how many times have we done that like it just seems to be you know the thing that we do but um just say somebody is a does someone okay does someone have to overcome their addiction in order to find their purpose that's a great question what if someone's afraid of like they're just like well I can't drop this um alcohol addiction does this mean I can't find my purpose that's a great question so I will often tell people that I think taking a break from alcohol is the fastest road to your biggest dreams and I have a caveat it's not the only road. It's just the <laughs> fastest, right? Yeah. Why is that? Obviously, there's a lot of people out there who are not changing their relationships with alcohol and are still achieving their biggest. But when I see what happens when you take a break, when you change your mindset so that you're no longer controlled and believing that you need something outside of you to be happy and comforted and still within, when you learn to manage your emotions, when you get the courage to stand out from other people, when you get confidence from sticking to your intentions, when you feel amazing, when you repair your self-worth and self-love, when you have more energy and enthusiasm, where you have more time and mental space to actually have the curiosity to go do something new, it's just this like leverage point. It's just the springboard that does make it faster. It's just these incredible gifts all crammed into one experience. That's why I'm so like passionate about sharing it with other people. It's not out of a moralistic or paternalistic thing. It's like, oh, I have a gift. I want you to try it. It's so amazing, right? So I do think like in my my philosophy, I, I see why the first makes it so that the second so the person has the energy and the enthusiasm for the second because if nothing changes then like it's like the identity is just stuck you know what I mean so like when I didn't drink for 50 days 100 days 200 days it was like what the hell who is this person because it's not anyone I've ever known before and so it shook up my identity and it was really like if I could do this what else could I do and I never thought I could be an author and I never thought I could be an entrepreneur, but I already shaked my identity so much with this not drinking thing that those things started to seem possible. So that's why, again, why I think it's the fastest road, right? But, you know, is it the only road? Absolutely not. Sometimes maybe we're led more into our purpose or a passion or exploring something. And then we we go into that and we find that, you know what? I love running my business. I love being on podcasts. I love sharing advice with people and coaching people. Let's just say, for example, that kind of a purpose. But you know what? I'm noticing this alcohol thing is is not making me feel great on the days I need to run my business. So like it could also come up later, you know, when it's out of alignment out of the dream that you are trying to achieve. And I look at some people that I admire so much out there, Tony Robbins, Gabby Bernstein, Brene Brown, Deepak Chopra, they all don't drink. You know what I mean? So to me, there's like this like little clue of like how to achieve success. 
Um, or just people who like, maybe they don't never drink, you know, but it's just not a big thing in their life. It's almost like how you were saying for you, it's just super small and irrelevant in their life. It just, to me, seems like so much easier to have the discipline motivated, have the creativity, you know, go for all the things that you want. So definitely not necessary. Right. And there's different roads that we, people might take and, and some people will drink until the day they die. And that's fine. Um, if that's fine for them, but if there's a niggling, if there's a niggling, that they could be better or there's a version of them that isn't unleashed because alcohol's in their way, then I think that's worth exploring. You know what I mean? Or else we'll always regret what could have been. I mean, let's just kind of look at your journey again, because it's pretty amazing. How did you, um, what were you doing when you were drinking and how did you find your purpose? And just explain to people what you're doing now. Like, just that journey, just in a nutshell. How did you find your purpose? Where were you? How did you find your purpose? And where did it lead you? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I was doing those new experiences like I shared with you. And I was just really leaning into this idea of like, what else could be possible, right? Um, so I uh, started just doing things that interested me. I, I knew I wanted to write. So I started journaling more. I started going to writer's workshops more. Um, and everything I did was like, I didn't actually think was it possible for me, but I was like, well, I, I might as well try it though, just to see. And so, you know, this idea of becoming an entrepreneur, I value freedom so much, but I was trapped in a job that, you know, I had to commute to, I had to be there nine to five. I had little time off. I had a boss over me, you know what I mean? So it was just really wasn't aligned, but I never thought I had a way out of it. And so when I changed my relationship with alcohol, I started to get the like creativity and the seeds planted in me of like, wait, I could own my own business. I could actually help people with this, the very thing that I've overcome. You know, like I have this wisdom, like this worked for me. This worked really well for me. Why not share it with other people? And, you know, that was like so many years ago now that I just started taking these little baby steps. Just, okay, I'm going to buy a website domain. Okay, I'm going to post on social media. Okay, I'm going to launch a podcast. Okay, I'm going to take this next step and this next step. I remember the first time I was um, actually propositioned to host a retreat. It wasn't my idea. And I was like, me? Me host a retreat? But it was such a dreamy thing that I'd always wanted to do, you know? So, like, my company's grown. I've written my book, Euphoric, Ditch Alcohol, and Gain a Happier, More Confident You. I'm now hosting retreats all over the world. I retired my husband this year. He works for the company and we just travel. Like there's just been so many incredible things that I've done because one, I stepped out of my comfort zone and I'm just taking consistent little baby steps, not these gargantuan action steps. Um, and I feel so fulfilled because I know I'm tapping into my creative energy every day. I'm sharing my gift with the world and it's making a difference to other people. You know, I feel the impact. I feel intimately when people tell me, wow, you've changed my life or something like that. Like it just gives me goosebumps every single time, you know, to know that I'm not hoarding. Mm. I'm not hoarding. And maybe like, that's the best word is to say is that like, when people have these passions or these gifts, and they're too scared to share it with other people, or they don't think they're good enough, or you know what, maybe we're all hoarding yeah. our gifts. And that's how we really, you know, feel like we matter. Um, Tony Robbins says that the two, two human needs that are often the most untapped for most people to feel happy and satisfied is both growth and contribution. Right. And so growing is always pushing yourself outside your comfort zone, learning new things, and then contrib contribution as giving back to society. If you can get those two things in your life anyway, right? I could, like I said, it could be formally or informally. It doesn't matter. To me, that's the secret to fulfillment. And I know it works for me. And I know like it definitely works for other people. And I was just 
so far off the mark many years ago when I was drinking for any of those two things. They were so missing in my life. So it's kind of been my journey towards the purpose, building my company every year, you know, and there's just incredible like sights and goals and dreams that I have. And I just get so excited that like life is working for me and on my behalf than the other way around of just feeling so powerless. And, you know, I just have to settle. That's that with such a depressing feeling, you know what I mean? And I'm human. I still feel like bad days and just like what's going on with my life sometimes. But I know on the whole, like I've leaned to just so much more faith that I'm being supported. I'm being guided. Things are working out for me and it's a, having a ripple effect on other people too. Amazing. So in a nutshell, take a break and just be conscious of how you feel and how things change around you. Think about contribution, growth, and uh, baby steps, curiosity, um, and it doesn't have to be anything scary. That is incredible. Thank you so much. This has been such an amazing conversation. It's been so lovely to know about your journey. How can people find you? Absolutely. So such a delight talking with you today. Um, If you're interested in learning more about me, my coaching, my programs, my retreats, you can find me at euphoricaf.com. And if you'd like to read my book, you can type in euphoric into Amazon or go to euphoricbook.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm Tamara Walpole, and you've been listening to Your Body's Way. If you haven't already, please subscribe, share, rate, and review this podcast. You can find me on Instagram as Tamara Walpole Nutrition. Join me next time for some more juicy information on how to help you on your journey to your best self yet. Your body's way is the only way. Chat soon.